As you're taking your seats, please open to the book of Proverbs, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 2. Jesus warned us not to live simply for bread alone or for the food that perishes, but by faith in his name to draw life, to live upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every word, including this passage. So reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out from it. Please join me in prayer. Our God and Father, Lord, thank you for your word, Lord, that you have breathed out your words that are recorded before us, Lord. You have spoken. Father, I pray that your spirit would take these words, plant them deeply in the hearts of each one, that you would open our minds, open our hearts, help us to see wondrous things in your law, for your glory and honor and praise, we, play, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. Amen. Well, as Franklin Delano Roosevelt became the 32nd president of the United States, our country was in the depths of great depression, great troubles. He helped the American people regain hope. And there's a phrase that lives on to this day that you've heard, and it, it restored hope, 
And it's something that you'll hear quoted even to this day. He said, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. So it's, it's inarguable. That, that statement lives on to this day. But the question is, is that statement true? Is that something you can actually live by? Because you and I are always afraid of something. There is something that is going to drive a level of anxiety or discomfort. It's, it's impossible to avoid it. So the question really is, what do you fear most? What do you fear most? Well, the Puritan, John Flavel, described fear in three different ways. He told us about three types of fear. There is the, the natural fear. This is a normal response to, impro- to an approaching danger or evil, a difficulty. It's not necessarily sinful, but it exists because of sin, because of the fall. So if a bear is chasing you, you should be frightened. It should motivate you to start running in the opposite direction or find something to fend yourself and protect yourself. So we pray, Christians will pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. It's good to look to our Heavenly Father for that deliverance. And in Psalm 23, we're reminded that even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a fearsome thing, I fear no evil because you, O Lord, are with me. So that's a natural fear. It's a normal fear. Now, there's a second kind of fear that's a bigger problem, a sinful fear, a fear that arises from unbelief, from not trusting the Lord and not trusting his word. It's a rejection of God's promises and his rule, and it creates fear. It is a sinful fear. To not trust the Lord is to sinfully live in fear. And then the third, which Flavel calls a religious fear or a godly fear, we can also describe as a fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. The lack of such fear is exposed through Jesus's question to his disciples. When he asks, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? So little faith means great fear, sinful fear, distrust. So that relationship is important to see. You may, see, you may have seen the t-shirt, faith, not fear, right? But you really can only go so far with the slogan of a t-shirt. It's, it's not really going to carry you through the difficulties of life. The question is, where is the greatest fear? Do you fear the Lord? Do you know what that is? Do you know what that looks like? Because otherwise, these other fears are going to plague you, are going to weigh you down all the way to the grave. So let's look at first two main points. I've got two different outlines for you for Proverbs chapter two. I could have broken this up into smaller parts, but I think it's helpful to see how it hangs together. So the first outline is on the left-hand side of your your bulletin page where the outlines are, and it, it shows two points. So it's the Father's invitation. The Father is inviting the Son to pay attention. And then secondly, 
It's the son's interest. What will the son gain from paying attention? God is so gracious that he doesn't just tell you, listen, which he rightly should and could. He also tells you why you should listen. He also shows the benefits of listening to him. So I, I preach relatively infrequently on Sunday morning. So I just want to do a quick review. I started the book of Proverbs several months back. We began looking at Proverbs with a consideration of what is a fear that draws us closer. Usually fears cause us to run away. What is a fear that brings us closer to the Lord God? And then secondly, we looked at how the best gifts will come in a relationship. The best gifts come in relationship. Lots of trials come through relationships too, but the best gifts come in relationship. And then just last month, we looked at how to avoid letting the call of wisdom go to voicemail, and you've missed that call, right? So now we're looking at chapter two, but I just wanna read at the very end of chapter one, verses 32 and 33. It shows a contrast, shows a comparison that continues through the book of Proverbs, it continues through all of scripture. For the simple are killed by their turning away. So those who need growth, who need maturity, and I dare say that's every single one of us in this room, every single one of us needs to grow, but to turn away from good counsel is to your own demise. The simple are killed by their turning away. Complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster, without the greater fears plaguing your heart and dominating your life. So look at the, the second structure, the second outline. There's a structural outline that I also included. It's on the right-hand side of your, your page within the bulletin. And there's, there's four key words. There's if, then, for, and so. So there's one condition, if. And then there's two consequences, then. So you know in logic, an if, then, uh, computer programming, all sorts of ways we can, we can use that. So if, then. So you've got a condition and you've got a consequence. If this happens, then this will happen. Then you have the cause, the for. What is the cause? What's the reason why this main clause, this if-then, is going to happen? You've got two causes, and then you've got two concerns. This is the so what. Why should I pay attention? Why is this important? It's the so what. So first, let's look at the Father's invitation. If you receive my words. If now, he begins with my son. And remember, this is poetry, the genre that we're in right now in the book of Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, Psalm of Solomon. We're, we're in a poetic genre. So it's a father speaking to a son. You can also consider it as a superior speaking to an inferior. So it, it will come up in all sorts of relationships. But you might ask, well, what about daughters? Should daughters pay attention? Well, of course, because remember, the context is not just poetic, but it's Hebrew culture. So the son, the favored son, the oldest son, receives the inheritance, receives 
all that the Father has. And we know, first and foremost, there is an only begotten Son. And Hebrews chapter 7 tells us, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son, a son who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been made perfect forever. And so Paul tells us, and you see the verse in your your bulletin, Galatians 3 verse 26, by faith in that only begotten son, Jesus Christ, you are sons. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So faith in Christ joins you to his body and gives you the privilege to say, our father, to call him your father. And just in case it isn't clear, just a few verses later in Galatians 3, Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So sons and daughters can together receive the inheritance through Christ, through faith. So it applies to male and female, applies to all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So because you are one in Christ, you are never an only child. You are never an only child. Your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has corporate benefits and obligations. It has corporate body obligations living together. By faith in Christ, you're members of his body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though one, are one body, so it is with Christ. Later, we're going to look more specifically at what does it mean to treasure the words of the Lord, of the Father? What does it mean to incline your ear? We're going to look more closely at that. But I first want to look at the consequence of not receiving his words. The consequence. Well, first, the consequence of receiving. So what does it mean to receive the words, to treasure the commandments, that if you do that, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. So the two consequences that come from paying attention to the word of the Lord is to understand the fear of the Lord and to understand righteousness and justice and equity. They come from paying attention to the word of the Lord. This understanding comes only from the word of the Lord. Verse 5, you'll notice the fear of the Lord. You'll see that title, Lord, in all caps. You'll see it set off. It'll be different than other translations of, of the word Lord because this is God's covenant name. This is the name which he revealed to Moses. This is the name which reveals his faithful, steadfast love. This is the name which brings you into a relationship with this God. You see, the fear of the Lord is like love. There is a sense in which, as Pastor Sean taught the last two weeks, we know love 
abides forever. 1 Corinthians 13, we see that faith passes away, hope passes away, but love abides forever. Well, similarly, the fear of the Lord also abides forever. Psalm 19 tells us the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Will there ever be a time in which the Christian does not stand in awe of the Lord God, stand in reverence before him? In fact, that only increases over time. We, we have a greater and greater view as God perfects us in sanctification. We stand in greater awe and reverence of him. You cannot love God unless you fear him. You cannot love him unless you fear him. An important clue is found in Psalm 119. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. My heart stands in awe. Does that describe you? Does your heart stand in awe of the words of the Lord? And we're looking at verse 6. Where, do these, where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from the mouth of the Lord. It comes from his mouth. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding come directly from the mouth of the Lord. Now, of every saint of the Old Testament, every single saint, no one else had such an intimate relationship with the Lord as Moses. In fact, in Numbers chapter 12, the Lord says, when I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, he beholds the form of the Lord. The, the Lord says, I speak mouth to mouth with Moses. Everyone else, it's different. But with Moses, it's mouth to mouth, face to face. There's an intimacy in that communication. Yet, consider how the Lord's people, in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in the fullness of glory, full of grace and truth. Consider how much more for the Christian, by faith in his name, we're invited to an even greater intimacy than Moses had. And the Apostle Paul captures this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, we all, we all who are trusting in Christ, resting in his righteousness, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, from one degree to another. Now, how much is one degree? Well, it's not very much, but he's advancing us through sanctification, through perfecting the work of Christ in us. He's advancing us one degree at a time, one degree at a time. And we're gaining a closer and deeper intimacy, trusting the Lord, calling him our father, learning to rely upon him in every way. See, the Lord, as verse 7 tells us, the Lord stores up wisdom for the upright. The Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us this, that the, the word may become effectual to salvation. We, believers, must attend thereunto with diligence. It's work, it's effort with preparation and with prayer. We receive it with faith and love. We lay it up in our hearts. We store it up 
as best we can. We practice it in our lives. It's never simply an intellectual thing, but what we hear, we respond to, and we continue. See, we don't just read the Bible because the Bible is a great book, which it is. We don't just read it because it's a unique book, which it is. But we read it because the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the very word of God. The Bible doesn't reveal the word of God. It is the word of God. It is the very word of God. It is his words breathed out that we meditate on. You'll see in your your bulletin sidebars, Douglas Kelly gave us this quote, because as the Lord speaks, we respond in prayer. And it's a conversation. He speaks, his children respond. Douglas Kelly said, prayer changes the world. It makes good things happen because it gets God's will done and thus brings down his best blessings. The principle is clear. The seeking of God in prayer releases the blessings of God. What a generous and gracious God that he invites us to participate in the advance of his kingdom, that he uses us to advance that kingdom through prayer. Do you avail yourself to this ordinary means of grace so that you see the kingdom of God advancing before your eyes and you fear God more than any other fear around you? The Lord is a shield, verse 7 tells us. He's guarding, he's watching over his people, verse 8 tells us. And what's the other consequence of paying attention to the word of God? The other consequence is in verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Then you will understand these things. Now on the surface... You may hear in social media and the news, righteous, justice, and equity. What does that mean? Well, I submit to you, social justice is not going to advance righteous, justice, and equity according to what the scriptures teach. You see, Deuteronomy chapter 32 reminds us that the rock, the Lord God himself, his work is perfect. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. You see, the standard of righteousness, the standard of justice, the standard of equity is found in the scriptures, in the word of God. Only in Christ will you ever find perfect equity. You see, you will either by faith in his name, find mercy because Christ has atoned for your sins and he's given you his righteousness. Or you reject what God has offered and you only find judgment. This is perfect equity. This is all and everything that we depend upon because this is the word of the Lord. So how do these things happen? Well, as I mentioned, the word for, which you'll find in in all the major translations, the word for is found in verses 6 and verse 10. This is the cause. This, is the, this introduces a causal clause. And 
It's the reason. It's the, if this happens, then this happens, and it's true because for what the Lord does. What does the Lord do? Verses six through eight, for the Lord gives wisdom. He gives it. He's offering it. He's inviting you to participate and receive it. You lack it because you don't ask. He says, receive my wisdom. I'm giving it to you. Verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart. You pay attention to the words of the Lord. Wisdom will come in your heart. He's promising you this. Are you paying attention? If the son receives the father's words, then the son will understand the fear of the Lord because the Lord gives wisdom, because he does that. Making the Lord's words a priority in your life will increase your fear of the Lord because the Lord gives wisdom. We know faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ and whatever does not proceed of faith is sin. So it follows that to trust the Lord, to cling to his promises, is to find the fear of the Lord. Verse 10 says, For wisdom will come into your heart. If the son receives the father's words, then the son will understand righteousness and justice and equity because Wisdom will come into your heart. You will increase in wisdom. This makes knowledge pleasant to the son's soul, verse 10 tells us. So think about, compare this to foods. Some foods are an acquired taste. Some foods, you try them, you're like, ah, I don't know if I want that again. So think of Think of coffee for some, right? Some, so either you love coffee or you hate coffee, generally speaking. Think of raw oysters. Either you love raw oysters or you hate raw oysters. There's sort of no in-between. Either you have fully embraced raw oysters as a delicacy or you don't ever want to try it again. But for some of you, you might have tried it the first time and thought, I don't want to do that again. And then you tried it again. You're like, Oh, this isn't so bad. Oh, let me try it again. It's like, oh, this is starting to grow on me. I think I enjoy this. So there's foods that are like that, that are an acquired taste. Do you think that the knowledge of God is just going to come naturally to you? You think you're just going to pick up the Bible and these words are just going to be like magnetized and attached to your heart and you're just going to capture it and it's going to make perfect sense. It's like, oh, now I can go live my life. There's no way. So the Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us of this. The sanctification for a Christian, the, the, the becoming more and more holy in heart and conduct, it's throughout the whole man. So God sanctifies the whole person in this work. And yet, it's imperfect in this life. Until you go to be with Jesus face to face. The sanctification process is imperfect in this life. Why? Because there abideth still some remnants of corruption in every part whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war 
What is the war between? It's between, for the Christian, the spirit of God is in you, but you have this sinful nature that is fighting tooth and nail against everything that is holy. And if you feel that tension in your life, you, you're, you're doing the right thing. If you don't feel that tension at all, you have to ask yourself, am I even a Christian? Why don't I feel this war? Why don't I feel it? See, the word of God, believers, Christians, the word of God is not your native tongue. It's not your first language. You are an immigrant into the kingdom of God. Psalm 1 tells us, Psalm 1 verse 3, says that the the blessed one is like a tree planted by streams of water. And it's so interesting that the Hebrew gives us two different words for plant. There is the word for plant a seed into the ground, but then there's this word in in Psalm 1 verse 3 that is really better rendered transplant. So it's to take a, a grown plant, pull it out of the ground, and plant it into this new grove. And Paul expresses this to the Colossian church. He says, you have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you have been transplanted into the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus Christ. So you are, you are not going to speak the word of God like a, a native. It's, you're going to speak it like an immigrant. And English for speakers of other languages meets on Monday nights. I think they, they're taking a break for the summer, but they meet weekly. And that classroom time is so important. It's so necessary. But the students don't advance until they begin to practice the language, until they're put in this situation where they're fumbling for the words, they're trying to remember how to say it, and and it's a struggle just to ask somebody, where's the bathroom, right? That sense of, oh no, how do I do this? How do I, I can't remember anything, right? Some of you have experienced that. Some of you know what that feels like. Or if you've gone on a mission trip, you've gone to another country, you get that experience of feeling just out of sorts, like you don't fit. Well, there must be an a sense of desperation as you come to the word of God, that Lord, if you don't come through, if you don't explain your word to me, I'm hopeless, I can't do this. It's not an intellectual thing. We need God to give us this wisdom so that we can grow. You see, for all mankind, your native language is the fall, right? Genesis chapter three, your native language is unbelief. That's your native language. And yet for the Christian, you have the spirit of adoption. You have Christ as your brother. You have the words of your father. And as you immerse yourself in the body of Christ and in this new culture, you begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior. So looking at the so, the so what, Looking in verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 16 through 22. Right? The son's interest. The so what? Why should the son pay attention? Verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. 
Verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. This is the concern of the son. This should be important to the son. It should be important to every one of us. You see, the father is speaking both negatively and positively. He's warning you of what not to do and he's warning you of what you will receive, what good will come. Now, it's interesting that it's the ESV that inserts the word so in verse 16 and verse 20. You won't see it in other translations, but I think it makes sense, and I I think it helps express the the fuller picture of what, what we see. The advantages of the son are that he will be delivered from the forbidden woman, verse 16, from the adulteress. And so you can think of that in, in temporal terms or worldly terms, just of people. And yes, God's word will deliver you from people who are strange and foreign, foreign to the word of God, foreign to the laws of God. But we already passed through uh, verse 12. You're also delivered from the ways of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, men who rejoice in doing evil. So these are temptations. These are temptations. It's easy to look out and say, oh, well, as long as I'm not hanging around with that person or as long as I'm not spending time with that person, I must be okay. But see, there's a, there's a deeper problem. And the problem is in your heart. That's the deeper problem. You see, wisdom comes into your heart. You receive the benefit of discretion watching over you. You receive the benefit of understanding, guarding you, protecting you. You see, our greatest enemy is right within, within our own hearts. Yes, there is the course of the world that's gonna continue to run contrary to the kingdom of God. Yes, there is the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion. But I would submit your, your greatest danger is the sinful nature that's inside your own heart. You see, in my own heart is the man of perverted speech tempting me to turn away from the way of the Lord. In my own heart is the forbidden woman who's speaking smooth words, trying to incite me to not pay attention, to not heed the words of the Lord. Yes, there's temptations all around. We must be careful. We must guard ourselves, and we must be in a relationship, a covenant relationship with a particular body of the Lord's people to fight against these temptations. But as it's been described, we are sleeping with the enemy. The Christian sleeps with the enemy because the sinful nature within us is constantly fighting against the Spirit of God. And we must learn to put it to death, to mortify it. So negatively, the benefit is that wisdom and understanding from the Lord protect us from danger. But positively, it's so that we can walk in a good path. Galatians 1 verse 4, which is in your bulletin, Christ Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He died so that you would be delivered from the present evil age, not to participate in it. 
Have you felt the tension that's been portrayed here in, in Proverbs chapter two? Do you, do you feel the struggle? There was, it's been a long time since I've been to King's Dominion, but there was something called the Lazy River, and it was this slow-moving course of water that you'd take your, your float and you'd sit on it and you'd just get in and you'd just float down the lazy river. And you weren't in a hurry, there were no obstacles, and you just floated. There was no, nothing to worry about and you're just enjoying life. Well, some of us as Christians are just floating down the lazy river. We're just waiting to see what comes next. We're just on our float, waving to our neighbor. But are we paying attention to the word of God? Are we heeding his words? Are we treasuring his words? Proverbs 2 verse 1, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive, inclining your heart to understanding. Your heart's going to say, no. Your ear's going to say, ah, too much. I don't want to listen anymore. It takes work. It takes effort. It certainly takes the Spirit of God, but you must participate in this process with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. It does not come naturally. So praise God for those that have served, for men and women that have served in our military, both past and present, and we give thanks for those that have laid down their lives, particularly for the freedoms we have. But imagine a Marine on the battlefield, and the battle is raging. Bullets are flying, but somehow this Marine is still in his sleeping bag, and he's not at his post. So first of all, that's pretty hard to imagine, but let's just, let's just go with it. Pretend that might be happening. What's going to happen? Well, if, this ca- if his captain finds him, he's going to yank him out of the bag. He's going to exhort him with some really strong and salty language. And he's going to say, devil dog, go fight the battle. What are you doing? Right? But Christian... Your captain is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already gone before you. He has lived a righteous life. He has laid down himself on the cross for your sins. And he is seated at the right hand of God. Get up. Go to war. Go to war with your own sinful nature. Go to war for his kingdom and for his righteousness. Positively, Jesus tells you, Come, take my yoke upon you. But then negatively, he says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. We follow him into the battle. We follow him. Seek the fear of the Lord in relationship with him and with his body, which is the covenant community. Psalm 34 tells us, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So it's taught. It's proclaimed. It's taught publicly. It's taught in intimate relationships, in care groups, in small groups. 
but then it's also caught in relationship over time. Psalm 25 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He gives his friendship to you and he makes known to them his covenant. Let's pray. Our God and Father, Lord, we are grateful for your great and generous heart, Lord, that you would have loved us so much that you had given your only begotten son. Lord, help us to heed your words, to incline our ears, to incline our hearts, that we would hear your words, that we would see your glory, and that we would fear you more than any other fear in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.